0: That song is a great anthem to what happens in our hearts when grace invades and we know that we're no longer on the outside, but we're on the inside. Um, we have God's grace and his favor. Uh, all over the world, uh, religious people and non religious people are all living according to sort of this sense in us, and, and it's universal. It doesn't matter if you believe in formal religion or not, uh, but we're all trying to pursue blessing. We all desperately want blessing and we're all desperately trying to evade the curse, you know, uh, whatever makes life unpleasant, whether it's temporal or eternal, you know, and everything in between. Uh, And so what we do is we try to obey the commandments, whatever those commandments may be, you know, whatever religious structure, you know, you're a part of, there's always this sense of if I do the right thing, then God or the gods or that force or whatever transcendent you know, mysterious being is out there, if I do the right thing, then that being will treat me right. Or we do sacrifices. We either obey commands or we, or we make sacrifices and we, we, we set apart things and we, we uh, do without things in order to pursue blessings or to evade curses. And that's universal. It's a human condition. That's how God made us, whether we acknowledge him or not. And so we're going to look at this discussion between Jesus and a a guy who's an expert in the law. I call him scribe. And you you see how this conversation unpacks that theme. And it's right on the heels of the, the conversation that we saw Jesus having with the Sadducees last week. And again, it's all part of this series that we're doing this, uh, this fall about what does God say about us? Who does Jesus say you are? So let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm gonna be in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. um, As we kind of thought about last week, there's lots of places where we're wrong. You are right. And we need to hear from you. We need to, to hear you declare to us not simply that we're near, but that we're in your kingdom. Please teach us and show us and assure us of that today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, so there's this whole conversation about commandments and there's sort of this complex, right, about the greatest commandment. What's what's the heart of the commandments? And so we're going to look at this uh, commandment complex. And then we're going to look at kingdom complexity, like what does it mean to be in the kingdom or near the kingdom or, or out of, of the kingdom and, and the complexity that's, that's involved in that. So let's, let's start with this commandment complex, you know, the, the, the dynamics of the commandments, the maybe like a stratification of the commandments, prioritization of the commandments. This, this scribe, this expert in the commandments, spent all his life and has had all kinds of training and teaching. You know, he's the go-to for all the people to know about the commandments. And here that expert is coming to Jesus with this fundamental question, what's the greatest commandment? Which is kind of a surprise. Why is an expert in the law coming to Jesus, asking about the fundamentals? If you're an expert, if you're you're an expert in plumbing or in auto mechanics or in, I don't know, education or business, people come to you for answers. You don't go to others for answers. You're the source. And here's the source kind of going, I don't know about the fundamentals. And this is why a lot of scholars think that he's not genuinely curious. He's putting Jesus on trial, just like all the other people before who, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all, you know, troubled by Jesus and all the people going to Jesus and they're no longer going to them. And so they want to knock Jesus off of his platform and they're challenging him and testing him and, you know, giving him a hard time. And so that's what this scribe is doing, just in another one in the train of these doubters and skeptics and agnostics and so on. That's why he's trying to trap Jesus. but he's not acting like that. In fact, you know, we see by his, his response to Jesus' answer that he agrees with Jesus. He doesn't try to you know, evade or, or switch the subject or do any of the other things that we see those who genuinely we know are trying to trap him, test him, et cetera. No, this guy agrees with Jesus. He affirms Jesus' answer. And then Jesus says to this scribe, wise answer, you're not far. You get it. This doesn't sound like somebody who's testing Jesus. And so, yeah, I think what we've got is somebody who genuinely doesn't know what's at the heart of his field of expertise. What's at the heart of his religion? Like he's got this unease, and he sees Jesus giving all these great answers and responding so wisely to all these skeptics, and then he goes, all right, well, I'm going to go ask this one nagging question. Everybody treats me like an expert. Everybody thinks I know what I'm talking about. And to be honest, I've been putting up a good front. But I'm going to ask Jesus, what's the heart of the commandments? And I don't know, maybe he was wondering, you know, what... It's got to be one of the Ten Commandments, right? Like what we just recited, you know, our our creed. Uh, It's got to be one of those, right? Like no other gods, or keeping the Sabbath, or... Or not covenant, maybe one of those. I don't know, what's Jesus going to say? I need to ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? It's kind of interesting, right? He's asking, he, he's an expert, but he's asking. And he goes to Jesus as the source. And Jesus responds, not with one of the Ten Commandments, uh, nor does Jesus kind of like pick up, you know, a rock and say, see, it's one of these obscure commandments that nobody's really looking at. That's the heart of our religion. No, he, he doesn't. In fact... What Jesus does is he says it's the commandment that every good Jewish, um, you know, faithful, uh, religious, spiritual person is reciting every single day, which is the Shema. comes out of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. And so of all of the 613 commandments, of all the 10 commandments, you know, Jesus just boils it down to the one commandment that everybody kind of knows is front and center already. One God, love him with every ounce of your being. Go and do that, and then you're in. Okay, <laughs> kind of hard. Um, then Jesus also adds on, you know, we think of the Trinity, one God, three persons, there's, you know, what's the greatest commandment? One commandment with two answers. And so Jesus tacks on Leviticus 19, another commandment that would be very, very familiar to anybody who, you know, was faithful in their, in their Judaism. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Jesus says there's no other commandment greater than these. And, and again, you see that each of these, this Shema and this neighbor thing, both are talking about the prominence of the heart of the soul, of, you know, your inner being with every ounce of your being, that this is not about our external obedience. This is not about checking boxes, keeping the rules, showing off your report card. See God, I kept all the commandments. Now you owe me. I, I've, been, I've been good. I've been a good boy, a good girl. Now you be good in return. That's, that's the outward kind of Philosophy orientation to the law. Jesus is saying, "No, no, no! It's inward. It's something that involves you and your, the center of your being. You know, if you're going to have integrity, this has to come from the heart." So Jesus says, "There's no greater commandment." And then look at the look at the scribes' response. Verse thirty-two. He says, "You are right. That's that's fundamental. You got to acknowledge Jesus is right, and you have." truly said that God is one, there's no other beside him, love him with all your heart, all your understanding, all the strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wait a minute. Like, we have, we're talking about commandments. Why does why this scribe, you know, just grinding the gears, now all of a sudden we're talking about sacrifices. Why does he jump in the tracks and, and looking at the sacrificial system? Why does the scribe start comparing the commandment to the sacrifices? Now, um, we have to keep in mind the setting uh, that all the Bible scholars are pretty much in agreement. This conversation happened in the precinct of the temple. Uh, we're told that, you know, from the context. And so Jesus is having these serial conversations with people. And they're all in temple courts. And all in the background, it's just white noise for these folks because it's been going on for every single day for years, the sacrifices. You, you, you can hear the mooing, the bleeding of the sheep, the, 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 you know, the doves cooing. You, you can smell the, the, the burning you know, offerings on the altar. You can smell the blood. You know uh, it's, just, it's just in the air around them. That's the context, are the sacrifices. And so this this scribe, as he's hearing Jesus, not only affirms the great commandment, he not only says that this commandment is greater than all the other commandments, but that that commandment is greater than all the other sacrifices. So when Jesus affirms this scribe's answer, basically Jesus is affirming what he's already said before. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That the, that, the, that the heart of religion, at the heart of what God says is, is our fundamental command is much more than our outward obedience, but, but an internal response to God and to our neighbor. And it's much more than all of our outward sacrifices. There's something internal, like a, that, that love, true love, true love for God, true love for others is sacrificial. That's at the core of religion. That's at the heart of things. That's the singularity of Christianity. As Jesus describes it, this is what's fundamentally at the heart of the commandments, at the heart of the sacrifices, at the heart of God, is loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You want to get into the kingdom? Do that. And good luck with that. So this kind of gets us to the second half of this conversation and this deals with kingdom complexity how do you get in how does anybody do that how does anybody love the Lord their God with every ounce of their being every moment of every day and how do you love your neighbor as yourself come on yeah we have good days and we have bad days we have good days with our spouses and bad days with our spouses. Good days with our kids and bad days with our kids. Good days with our friends and our roommates and bad days with our friends and our roommates. Nobody can do this. Therefore, how, how do you get in? And this is the complexity of the kingdom. Like We're talking about proximity. The, 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 the scribe says, you're right, teacher. And then, you know, what does Jesus say to him? We're doing this whole series on you are. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. That sounds pretty good. I mean, I, that's not bad. I mean, Jesus isn't saying, you are so you know, lost and far off. You're, you're hopeless. Get out of here. You're, you know, you, you're, go, go come back when you've got a clue. That's not what Jesus says. He says, you're not far. Good for you. Wise answer. Well done. But that's kind of an interesting way to put things. You're not far from the kingdom. Is that good news? Maybe it's not, because... I want to know I'm in, not just that I'm near. I want to be in. And that's not what Jesus says to this guy. In fact, Bill Lane, uh, one of the commentators I like, he says that Jesus' statement is deliberately ambiguous. Jesus knows what he's saying. It's deliberately ambiguous and was undoubtedly intended to provoke reflection. So, you know, I'm here to keep Jesus in front of us. If Jesus was standing in front of you and said to you, you are not far from the kingdom of God, how would you respond? Let's acknowledge first and foremost, yeah, I want to know I'm in, but I don't even have a right to be near. Not, none of us has a right to be near. I mean, we're, this is hard to hear because of kind of our, our entitlement culture, but God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, you know, we owe God our, our love and our loyalty, but we, we spend a lot of our time living for ourselves, loving ourselves more than our neighbors, certainly more than God. And when we do acknowledge God, it's kind of to get us out of trouble he's kind of our our escape hatch, and and we'll call on him when we need blessing or when we need deliverance from a curse, but the rest of the time we're on autopilot. We're doing our own thing, building our own kingdom. And justice actually would say, you're far off for that that kind of life. It's self-imposed. We're living, left to ourselves, we live far away. And that's why, you know, Paul, or um, that's why Peter, I should say, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. It's phenomenal. It's Pentecostal. It's amazing. And everybody who's there is going, what in the world is going on here? Something transcendent, something supernatural. How can we be saved? And Peter answers them, and he basically says, look, repent, be baptized, believe in Jesus, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's our condition. That's where we are spiritually. Left to ourselves, we're all far off. Paul says the same thing, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so, you know, this is, this is what happens to us. We view the commandments through the lens of, of blessing and curse. And so we imagine that if we treat others right, if we do the commandments, that God's gonna treat us right. That he's gonna be good to us if we're good to others. If, we, if we're good boys and good girls, he'll be good. Uh, and so that's why you know, we are living for ourselves. We're using the commandments in a way that God doesn't command. We're keeping the law unlawfully for ourselves, not for God's glory and not for the blessing of others. We do the same thing with the sacrifices. We're always making sacrifices with a view toward getting blessed and avoiding a curse. Um, and you, I mean, this is, this is foundational, simple stuff. I mean, we will sacrifice sleep for a good, fun night out with our friends on the weekend. You know, we'll sleep in the next day maybe, or, or we'll get up and just be groggy. But we'll sacrifice things because we want blessing, or we want that goodness, we want to you know have something positive. Or we'll sacrifice our weekend in order to avoid a curse because I got to get this project done. If I don't have it done by Monday, the boss is going to be breathing down my neck and I got to avoid that. Foundational stuff. We live for blessing. We live to avoid curses. And we look at commandments and we make sacrifices out of that orientation. Now, How do we get in? We're always being and making, you know, sacrifices and approaching the law based on blessings and sacrifices the sad thing is that we're also being sacrificed because other people are pursuing blessing and other people are trying to avoid curses and we're in their way human sacrifices are made every day people are being sacrificed on the altar of racism on the altar of on-demand abortion, on the altar of gang violence, on the altar of jihadism, human sacrifices, because people are pursuing their idea of what's good. They're trying to avoid their curse. That's, you know, macro high stakes, life and death sacrifices, but let's talk about just the everyday smaller scale offerings that are being made. How you and I, our dignity, gets sacrificed by those who would belittle us, who would shame us. And they offer us up on the altar of their anger or their selfishness or their fear. And we do the same thing. Sadly, we use our words. We wield them like knives that let the life flow out of our victims. Also, that we can kind of obtain some counterfeit blessing, some mirage, avoid some curse. How, what, what if? What would change all that? How do? What if we knew we were in? How would being in change our approach to the commandments and to the sacrifices like what would happen if we knew that the law was kept for us and there was no more expectation of us measuring up what if what if we knew that that we were already on the inside we already had that reward we already had what we've been knocking on you know that door all our lives trying to be good boys and good girls what if we knew we were already in Man, that would totally change our view of the law. I don't, I don't have to be neurotic and anxious and worried about keeping this so that God will bless me. I'm already blessed. And now I can keep the law not for my gain but for other people's gains. Do you know that what... Do you know the Ten Commandments are not given to us so that we can you know, finagle our way into God's good favors? No, the Ten Commandments, when God tells us don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't covet, that's actually so that our neighbors can be blessed. What would a society be like where nobody lied, nobody stole, nobody objectified one another, nobody coveted one another's things? That would be a wonderful place to live. By the way, that's heaven. No sin, all righteousness, all the time. That's the, that's the intent of the commandment, so that we love God and love our neighbors ourselves. It would change our view of the sacrifices, right? The sacrifices we're making aren't so that we can get God's favor, get God to like us, get God to you know, smell that aroma and say, okay, I guess I'll bless you. I guess I'll deliver you from that curse. If we already know that we're in, the sacrifices then become something joyful that we do so that others are blessed too. That's our approach to sacrifices. So when you're on the outside, trying to get in, you end up looking inward. It's inevitable. You're thinking about yourself, what you can do for yourself. How can I get in? And you're thinking about yourself all the time. But when you're in, you think outward. I can think about my neighbor, I can think about God. Just, just loving the Lord, just loving my neighbor. I, I don't have to earn anything anymore. I'm already blessed, I'm, the curse has been taken away. I don't have to manipulate anything anymore. You see, you see how being out makes you inward, being in makes you outward. So this gets to kingdom security and we'll wrap up. So, This whole discussion about being near or in or out ultimately is a discussion about authority. Who has the right to say you're in or you're out or near? Like like we think about this all day long, whether you're conscious of it or not, and and the evidence is even in your wallet. Like I have a driver's license. How many of you have one of these? A bunch of you. I don't just operate a motor vehicle because I want to. I mean, I do want to, but I have to get permission to do that. The Commonwealth of Virginia has to give me one of these, has to give you one of these. And you and I are legally allowed to drive our vehicles because then there's an authority that gives you that privilege. And you're either in that group of people who are licensed to drive a motor vehicle in the Commonwealth of Virginia, or you're out. And you don't get to say whether you're in or out. Somebody else has to grant that, bestow that to you. Got my uh, PCA ordination card. It's official. I, I really am allowed to do this. <laughs> and, and I got this, I don't know, I get the, it's renewed every year. They keep us kind of on the, on the string. Uh, but it, it reminds me, look, I'm not up here because of. I, I'm entitled to do this. I'm up here because a group of elders in our presbytery all agreed there's this bizarre supernatural thing called the call of God on my life. I'm called to do this. They affirmed that, they laid their hands on me just as we're gonna do in just a second to a, a new elder and a new deacon. Lastly, I got this great America, the beautiful annual past our national parks. So anytime you wanna go up on the skyline drive, guess what? You can't do that just based on your own whim. You gotta, you gotta buy one of these. And the National Park Service has to give you permission to go in the park. Without their permission, you're on the outside. This is part of our everyday routine. We live in a world of authority, of people who have the right to say you're in or you're out. You've been waiting for that job, you've been studying, you you went to school for that job, you went to the trade school to get the training to do that skill, that craft, whatever. And you've got your dream job that you've been wanting, you've been trying to get, you've been putting out the resumes, you've been, you know, uh, looking, scouring the ads and, you know, the online applications and so on. You just want that dream job. And that HR rep has the power and the authority to say whether you're in or out. And when that email comes and it's from that company and you've been waiting for their answer, am I hired or not? And you click and then that HR rep says, congratulations. You're one of us and you feel awesome. Or it says, we got to inform you and you're outside still. Or you've been dating uh, months Maybe years and you finally muster the courage to tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend how you really feel. And he or she responds, "I love you too." That relief, that joy, you know all those things come flooding over you, contrasted with, um, "Thank you awkward moment and you feel empty rejected outside you're in or you're out and it and it we can't manipulate this somebody grants that status to us does jesus have the authority to tell us whether we're in or out or near or is he just one more male religious figure with power, claims to power, who's telling us what to think and what to do? Is he some cult leader? Is he some, you know on some kind of power trip or whatever? This is really the issue. If you believe that he has the right, he has the power, he has the authority, he has the virtue to say whether you're in or out or near, then we need to hear what he says. If you don't, then why bother, you know? You have to decide what you think of him before his words to you mean anything. If you're wondering, can you trust him? I don't know. I don't know if he's really got that power. I don't know if he really has that authority. If you're wondering if you can trust him, consider this. He obeyed everything. Every single commandment Every single moment of every single day, he obeyed. Not so that he could get a gold star in heaven, but for our blessing. He kept the law as it's designed to be kept in order to love God and love their neighbor. And he did that. He he wasn't, you know, saying, do this, but I'm going to do something else he did what he's calling us to do and he sacrificed for us he sacrificed everything he laid down his life for us he gave himself for us on a cross to be the sacrifice that would take our sins away don't follow somebody who says do this and they don't do it don't follow somebody who says, sacrifice this, and they don't make any sacrifices. But when we're talking about the one who obeyed everything perfectly for us, who gave everything fully for us, you can trust him. The sacrifices that people would bring, their own goat, their own cow, their own birds, you know, all these different things, offerings that people would bring. They were were the sacrifices that they brought. Do you know who Jesus is? He's the Lamb of God. Not our Lamb. God's Lamb. Jesus is the sacrifice that God gave for us because we can't bring enough. God, because he loved us, Gave us a perfect sacrifice, who obeyed perfectly, who covers our sins perfectly. God didn't want to be without us. He doesn't want us outside. He wants us in with Him to be His children, His sons, His daughters, His citizens, stones, and His temple pillars, and His, you know, in His temple. He wants us in. That's why He gave us Jesus. And if you trust him, if you believe in him, if you love him, you're in. It doesn't matter how much you obey or not obey. It doesn't matter how much you sacrifice or not sacrifice. What matters is how much he obeyed. What matters is how much he sacrificed. That's how we're in. He is our golden ticket. He gets us through the pearly gates. And that's what transforms our view of the law and of the sacrifices of God and of our neighbor. Because when you're in, then you're outward. And we can start looking at the law as 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 just a blueprint, as a plan for how do we love our neighbors well. We start looking at our sacrifices. Not for what I can get, but how can I bless my neighbor Are you in? If you believe in Jesus, you are. If you're coming and going, I I think what Jesus says is good, but you're not sure if you believe, you're near, you're close. All that remains is saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you gave us Jesus, the Lamb of God, your lamb, your sacrifice for us to bring us near, to bring us inside, to make us your people, to make us your sons and your daughters. We give you thanks for your love for us, how you kept the law, you made the sacrifice so that, so that our view of the law and sacrifices can really be changed so that we can start loving you and loving our neighbor as we do these things. Lord, would you change our hearts? Uh, all of us need continual transformation and if there are any here who really have not understood these things, you're connecting their dots. Lord, thank you. and Give them joy as they start to follow you. Give us all joy as we continue to follow you. In Jesus' name.